Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host Steve Malk and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as husband, dad, Aspie, writer, tweaker of noses, profane saint, may contain strong language, adult themes and traces of peanuts. My apologies for disappointing you. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Warwick Rendell. How you doing? Good. I hope that uh, that phone doesn't ring the entire time we're on the thing. But nonetheless, Warwick, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be speaking with you. Can you tell me, please, to start us off in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? I don't. I try and, <laughs> I try and avoid social settings as much as possible. I'm, I'm not a huge fan, so... Uh, so, well, fair enough to avoid them. Do you find that there are times when you can't avoid them? Unfortunately, yes. Um, so, it, if, it depends on the kind of social setting. If it's a social setting that's kind of personal, um, yep. I will, when forced to introduce myself, I say Wazza. Uh, yep. Wazza Rendell, or just Wazza. Um, if, it's, if it's a professional one, then I have to introduce myself as, as Warwick. Uh, which often can end badly. <laughs> what, introducing yourself professionally as Warwick? Yeah, because people seem to have trouble with my name. So Warwick? I had, well, there's Warwick, or I had one particular client I was talking to on the phone at work, and uh, I introduced myself as Warwick Rendell, and uh, she somehow got work out of that, and from there on referred to me as Work Rendell. So, Is work there? Yeah, well, apparently my parents had plans for me and none of them involved fun. So, <laughs> Well, look, it's part for the course, right? Yeah, pretty much. The irony is I um, people, people read my name and read it as Warwick and so will call me Warwick. Um, and, of course, it's pronounced Warwick because the second W is silent. Uh, there's a suburb here in Melbourne um, called... Berwick, but for the first five years of me living in Melbourne, I couldn't pronounce it correctly. Berwick. Yeah, that's what I called it. Um, and when I realised it, the irony was not lost on me. <laughs> but look, I think that's common for most people whenever they move into a place that there's inevitably, uh, and usually it is suburbs, that get mispronounced. Yes, but it took me five years to work it out, so... <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've lived in Queensland for the greater part of my life and I know that there are places that I'm saying wrong. Oh, that's... Um, I, look, I, I can't hold it against you, can I? <laughs> are you, you don't like going outside because that's uh, a reflection of your spectrum life or that's just, no, I am absolutely uh, not... I don't want to be in the outside. Uh, I think it's, it, it's sometimes it's hard to pass this stuff out um, sort of is it one is it the other uh, and I spend mm -hmm. a lot of time trying to pass these things uh, in this case I just don't think I like being outside I burn very easily I've got that, that lovely sort of oh nice uh, what, what is it Western Europe oh no sort of English skin even though you know my relatives are long since imported to Australia. My brother got this wonderful... He walks outside and suddenly he's got a tan. I walk outside and suddenly I look like a lobster. So uh, they, I tend to avoid trying to go outside for no other reason than that. I, well, I can understand that. Plus, outside is where the other people are. Yes, that, that's also true. 
do you find that your family... Well, let's start here. What is your experience of family? Oh, how many hours have we got? Well, it's a couple. Okay, good. Um, look, it depends on whether we're talking sort of my nuclear family, sort of my immediate family. I've got um, four mm-hmm. kids and I've been married for just over 20 years. Um, or Congratulations. My, thank you very much. Uh, I know it's, 20 years is no small effort, mate, let me tell you. Yeah, it, it, it's increasingly uncommon um, and it's a lot of hard work and it's somebody who puts up with me. So I can Amen, be, brother. I can be Amen. a little bit difficult. Um, yeah. And I am cognizant of the fact. So... So, I, please. I, my immediate family, um, I, I love them dearly. I've got kids ranging from... I've got an adult child now, which is an experience all on its own. Wow. Uh, down to a four-year-old. So Wow. So th- there is a range of incidents that can happen in, in the house on any, any given day. Well, it um, sounds like at your place, not least of which is surprise children. <laughs> no, it was not a surprise. Number four was actually planned. So... Can we... I ask, that's a fairly big gap between number one and number four. Yeah, look, the first three are all about three years apart. Um, when we got married, uh, we I wanted two and she wanted four, and so we agreed ultimately to have four. Um, <laughs> we, we came to a compromise that um, we'd have three, and then um, several years down the track we were talking and I, I looked at her and I went, you know what, okay, let's go one more. And, and that unfortunately ended, ended quite badly. Um, we, we lost a child. Um, oh, no. In pregnancy, yeah. Um, we, uh, we went to our 12-week scan, and uh, I've never had an experience. Nothing prepares you in life for the ultrasound technician to say, um, look, your daughter needs to leave the room because we have to have a conversation. And... Oh. And, and during that conversation, after our daughter left the room, to be told that our daughter in utero had a, a fatal birth defect. Oh. It was a condition called acrania, where the top of the skull doesn't develop. Oh, no. And, and yeah, that was probably one of the toughest experiences of, of my life, of our lives. I, I can totally understand that. How, where do you even begin to process that? I began to process it by writing about it. Uh, I kind of blogged my way through the process because we... You're gonna, you know you're going to get questions and we had yep. some, some big decisions to make very quickly. Um, yep. We were immediately told that they could, they could terminate the pregnancy if we so desired. Uh, yep. It was not something that either of us were uh, ready to do at that point. And um, we wanted to talk about it, obviously, for ourselves and also, you know, work our way through that because um, I've... This is kind of tough to talk about. We don't have to discuss it if you don't want to, mate. That's fine. We were, we were given the decision as to whether we wanted to immediately terminate and we, we wanted to go and talk about that and work it out. Um, sure. And there were a lot of people who were praying for us. You know, I, I have a mm. Christian background. Um, I have many, many friends of faith, and and we kind of 
just worked our way through the process. Um, I've never had an experience quite like being told that um, I need to talk to you, but you need to ask your daughter to leave the room. And yep. the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And the ultrasound technician said to us, oh, I'm sorry, your daughter has a, a birth defect and, and it's fatal. Uh, she will not survive the pregnancy. And, and so we went and we were given the option to terminate and we weren't yep. actually ready to do that at that point. It's hard having seen your daughter there moving around on the ultrasound yeah. to just end it at that point. Uh, we went and saw a specialist, a genetic counsellor, um, and he went through all of the options and we were, yeah, part of the concern was that if she went to term, she wouldn't be able to have another child. Uh, and there's a difficult decision to be made um, because the effectively, because she has no skull, the, the ultimately uh, labour wouldn't be triggered correctly. Mm. And so at some stage you're choosing the date of your daughter's death. Oh. Dude. Yeah, it's, it's something that just nothing prepares you for. Yeah. Um, and she was induced, I think, 22 weeks. Um, the, the birth was induced. She didn't survive the yep. um, process. Um, and we had a funeral a week later. Yep. So, yeah, sorry. It just got really, really heavy really fast. I didn't think I'd talk about this. No, no dude, it got very serious. Thank you. I mean, th- to start with, thank you for sharing that. That's You're right. That's very full on and very intense. And... <sighs> very real I mean I, my first wife went through nothing that intense I will offer but certainly had the case where we were pregnant and then we were not pregnant mm. um, and that was oh. that was sad enough but gosh this is amazing dude I'm I I, I I I mourn with you even though it sounds like for you and your wife this is something that you have well worked through still sad for you sure yeah. but this is your history for you now yeah well it's I mean it's bit over five years ago now mm. um, we lost Jessica at the beginning of 2011 this was like yep. the beginning of 2010 beginning of 2011 um, and there was a time there where I was not sure whether I wanted to try again so to speak um, sure. but we did and our youngest son was born um, wow. in May of 2012 and he is a riot Sometimes we're That's delightful. <laughs> Dude, that is so delightful to have that joy and recognition that, you know, you, you still have this, this other child that unfortunately didn't live, but to then have a new life come into the process as well is, is amazing. Yeah, and it, I, I, yeah, sometimes I get asked, how many children do you have? And there's this moment yeah. where I'm torn to say, to us, you know, Jessica is our daughter and she didn't survive but um, there's a sense we have five children um, yep. but I learnt I tend to be very literal it goes along the other territory of being an aspect <laughs> and I learnt quickly that it's easier just to say four yep. you know, she, to us we always acknowledge her um, but in, in social settings when people ask something like how many kids do you have you say oh, I've got four kids yep because otherwise it leads into conversations just like that one. Yeah, just like <laughs> what we've just had, which 
man, that that is brutal to share. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, no um, that's horrid. How how do you and your wife survive this? Like, where's what what strength do you lean on that allows you to come out the other side of it? This is where I should say my faith, and there's there's an aspect of which that is true. Mm. Um, there are also friends. We lent on our friends. Sure. We lent on on family. Um, people. There were people who, who were there for us in ways that were totally unexpected. Um, but something like that can also shatter your faith. Um, yep. In my case, it, it didn't, but it did. Um, it did shake the foundations somewhat of what I believed. Yep. So, so yeah, so, so yeah, there were people. There was my faith. Yeah, that, that's what sort of gave us strength through that period. And of course, leaning on each other. Um, you have to, you have to be there for each other because if you're not, everything falls apart. And you know, obviously, we're still <laughs> together after 20 years, so obviously things didn't fall apart, but they did get dicey for a while. Yep. And, and I think, I, can understand that. I think any couple going through that, it, it's going to be which is why you have to do the best to reach out to each other in that process. And it's very easy to, to withdraw to within yourself in that process, which which is not good for anyone, not good for your relationship. So, so you need to reach out to each other. Yeah. And you've acknowledged that life on the spectrum, you know, makes your existence that little more challenging just within your own mind. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that would present its own challenges in normal relationship land with your wife oh it has done so yes um, we I didn't I didn't know I was on the spectrum for a very long time mm. um, it's kind of one of those things that's obvious in hindsight um, uh, our son our second son I'll, I'll just say of our four kids it now yes. we now know three of them are on the spectrum uh, so this is unsurprising <laughs> Uh, and if you if you look at my father, my father is stereotypically um, Aspie. Yeah, and so uh, he it's not something he'll sort of cop to, but I look at him and I go, yeah. And my cousin, who's actually trained as a speech therapist who works with autistic kids, when she was training, uh, sort of mid training, just suddenly went, oh wow, that's my uncle. Gosh. So I I was. I started to suspect it several years ago when our son, probably 2008, our, our son was going through the process of being diagnosed and a friend gave us a book called The Complete Guide to Asperger's Syndrome, which I then read cover to cover. <laughs> and it was like someone had been inside my head from my childhood and just written down every experience that I'd lived through. Gosh. And wow. it wasn't until the end of 2013 um, that I got the diagnosis that I'd been hoping for for so long. And because I really did... Once, once I started to suspect it, I, I wanted that answer. And worst possible thing that could have happened to me um, at the time. <laughs> because yeah. I spent so many years sort of going, oh, I, I, I think I'm this, but I don't want to be one of those self-diagnosed people who, who goes, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm on the spectrum. Uh, it happens a lot. And there's, even in the, in the autistic community, there is uh, very much some push and pull uh, not that I'm a, a, a sort of card-carrying member of the autistic community, quote-unquote. Um, 
it, it's just there is some attitude because people will self-diagnose and that's not always the healthiest thing. But as somebody said to me as I was going through that process, they said, you know your own head. You know, this was somebody yeah. who's an autistic, autism expect. Sorry, I'm going to have to go let the cat in. He's crashing the door, won't be a sec. It's all right. Of course, the cat wanting to get through the door once the door is open does not want to enter the room. Um, no. So yeah, and I was talking. I was talking to somebody in the um, uh, specialist um, before, long before I was diagnosed. I went to a, a meetup for people who are on the spectrum, um, and told him I was very nervous about being there, saying because I was self-diagnosed at that point. And yeah. he said you know, a lot of people go through that route. Not everyone who self-diagnoses is actually on the spectrum, but a lot of people realising this will ultimately go on to, to get a formal diagnosis, as I did. Yeah. Uh, end of 2013, I uh, spent several sessions with a psychologist who walked me through all of the tests and got to the end of the process and she said, yep, you're on the autistic spectrum. And she said, um, had I been diagnosed a year before, I would have formally been called told I had Asperger's syndrome. Um, yeah. However, with the changes to the DSM-5, it's now rolled into the, uh, I have autism spectrum disorder. And because it's a spectrum, yeah. um, you can be sort of anywhere on that spectrum. And a lot of people, so not a lot of people, but you know, some people have said to me, well, you don't seem like you're on the spectrum. And that's because at this point in my life, being, I was you know, almost 40 when I was diagnosed, you have a lot yeah. of built-in coping mechanisms. Uh, and you yeah. sort of teach yourself a lot of the stuff to seem kind of, quote, normal, unquote. Uh, and so, like, I don't have a monotone voice, but I used to. I used to kind of talk in a monotone and then all of my sentences went up at the end. Uh, when I was a kid, my yeah. parents kind of noticed this and, and kind of... <laughs> honestly, they, they kind of picked on me until I stopped doing it. Um, Whenever, whenever I'd talk and these sentences that just were one monotone and then went up at the end, they would mimic me so that I knew I was doing it. And I learned yeah. not to do it. I learned to modulate my voice. And then I worked with my father from the time I was 13. Um, and originally we had an electronics business. And I learned to... My, my first career, so to speak, was fixing TVs and videos. But Dad course being on the spectrum myself didn't like dealing with customers in the shop so I was thrust at the yep. age of 13 out to deal with, with the customers who came in to bring in their broken video recorders and, and stuff yep. and I had to learn to look people in the eye and talk to them because you can't just stare at the computer screen and ignore them yep. so yeah I, I've learned how to, to talk to people even when it's uncomfortable so how does uh, how does it manifest in you, like what? What are the things that you see that that may help you identify as being on the spectrum, and that yeah, ultimately have led to part of your uh, acknowledgement? Well, I, um, I I have theories about everything. I'm constantly processing everything, um, and, and I I have trouble in social settings. This is going back sure. to that initial question. Um, particularly large social groups of people. I'm also an introvert, which tends to go with that territory. Um, yes. I, it's not so obvious now. Um, a friend of mine 
described me as. He said, when I met you, and he met me when I was 17, he said, you, were, you could only talk about three things, uh, God, Star Trek, or computers. And if a conversation wasn't about one of those things, by the time you were finished, it was. <laughs> uh, yep. Had trouble maintaining friendships for some strange mm. reason. I've got a handful of, of a few friends who I don't understand why they're friends with me. Um, mm. And I, I really do struggle to, to know what to do in friendships. Do I call? Do I, am, I, am I being too much in somebody's space? Am I not in their space enough? You know, things like that. It's, um, it's harder sort of to, to put all the pieces together sort of now and say, right, this is what makes me autistic. Um, and I, I personally uh, have had sort of some conversations, written conversations mainly, with people um, about it. And, and there are people who don't like to, still don't like to say I'm autistic. They prefer to say I'm an Aspie, uh, even though we're not formally diagnosed as that anymore. Man, I, I think it. Well, it would probably be surprising for a lot of people, wouldn't it, to find that a number of people that they know, not even just interact with, but a number of people that they know are probably on the spectrum. It's far more uh, prevalent. I won't say common, but there's, uh, it, as you said, because of the acknowledgement that it's now about being on the spectrum as opposed to being you're this, you're that. Yeah. Um, there uh, would be lots of people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and the um, you know more people are being diagnosed now just because it's being recognised. You know, yeah. it's it's not because it's suddenly become more common. It's just because the various, like you say, the various groupings that people would have been put into, they're now kind of recognising that it's all part of you know the spectrum. And yeah. so, adults tend not to get diagnosed as much, uh, and and women tend not to be diagnosed with autism as much. That is also happening more. Um, because autism is a considered to be kind of a social... Um, I'm struggling to find the right words here. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with social interaction. Yes. Um, the understanding, from what I understand anyway, is that girls, young girls, tend to be diagnosed less often because they tend to have better... They tend to be more social in their interactions mm -hmm. as they're growing up, whereas boys tend not to be. They're, and if they I'm just go to Comic-Con. <laughs> but sort of with young um, with young kids, and I've got one of my, you know, our daughter is on the spectrum as well as two of our boys, mm -hmm. and um, we've got a friend who, who has children who are on the spectrum, daughters who are on the spectrum as well. And, and so I've had a lot of sort of conversations with her about sort of that... And, and I'm, I'm actually struggling to sort of put all the words together for this uh, because I'm, I'm not an expert and, and so I'm, I'm sort of sure. walking into an area. I'm not an autism <laughs> autism spectrum expert. I can only talk about my experience with it. So. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, my experience was that once I got the diagnosis, it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. Uh, for about six hours, I was like, yes, finally, I've got the answers. And then, then, then two months of, of depression and anxiety because I didn't realise that I had hoped that there would be a magic pill or something that would make the world suddenly shift and make sense. Oh, wow, yeah. Because my experience my experience of, of being someone autistic in the world is the world doesn't make sense, and, and arguably it probably doesn't anyway. Um, but social 
relationships are something that tend to be opaque to me. I, I understand that people have friends, I just don't understand how they have friends. But I had hoped that if I saw the right counsellor or got the right magic pill, um, yes. it would all suddenly yeah. make sense. And uh, people would make sense to me. I mean, when I was 12, I bought a book on body language because I'd seen this, this guy, Alan Pease, on TV. Yeah. And it was like he was describing things that would help me decode what people were thinking because I was... I didn't understand it. I didn't have friends you know, at school. I, I didn't understand the people. So I bought this book on body language in the hope that I would, you know, and I memorized it too. You know, I just read through it and reread it and reread it and I still got, I still got the thing. Um, that I'd be able to read people's body language and that way I'd be able to understand people. It kind of worked. I could at least understand that people didn't want to talk to me because <laughs> I could read that in their body language. Um, but ultimately it sort of, it, it turned out to be one of the things that I was able to look back and go, oh, yeah, there you go. You could see it all the way back then. Um, but, yeah, it was it was just two months after that of realising that I'd lost hope. Hope is an incredible thing, and to lose it is, is very difficult. And I did not see that coming. That was the thing that I didn't see coming when I got the diagnosis. I didn't realise that I would... that I was hoping, and this, I had this deep-seated hope that something would make a difference only to yeah. find out that, um, to quote Jack Nicholson, perhaps this is as good as it gets. <laughs> and, and it turned out to be not necessarily as good as it gets. After that sort of couple of months, I, um, I was sort of able to sort of start processing it and go, ah, ah, there you go. You know, this okay, this is maybe what it is, but, you know, at least I know that now and I can learn to work out, put my life back together and how it all works together. Warwick Grindel, what a life you're living now. This is amazing. It's it's been I've I've had some experiences. <laughs> yeah. It's it's part of it's part of why I prefer to say tweet uh, or write. You know, I, I've got there in my bio writer, um, mm. and I, I I sort of several months ago I sat down and went, what is it that I've always wanted? What I've always wanted is to be a writer, and so I went okay. I'm going to discipline myself to actually write. And in the process of sitting down and, and just writing every day, I'm not necessarily publishing what I'm writing, but I start disciplining myself to just sit down and write every day. And mm. about a month into that um, discipline of, of writing 500 words a day, I suddenly went, oh, I've actually been published on... I've self-published my blog, but I've also been published in a few different publications. I've had an essay and I've had a couple of poems published and stuff. And I went, oh... I am a writer. Yes. I, I made this sudden switch from I want to be a writer to, oh, I've been published, I am a writer. I mean, ultimately, a writer is somebody who writes. Um, so, yeah, I was able to, to sort of make that mental transition and, and kind of own that, that word writer in my bio. Not that I'm widely published, but I have been published, so... You've got to start somewhere, buddy. Yeah, but that's the, that is why I tend to write and prefer to write than to talk to people because when I'm talking to people like this I tend to get caught up in my own words and somewhere lost in my conversation and I'll either ramble on for hours um, or I, I will just stop mid-sentence because there's so much going on in my brain that I just run out of ways to, to get it all out there and uh, my brain is splitting off in a million different directions. I, I want to talk about this and that and something else and I just get locked and suddenly just go silent. 
what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months, Warwick? I've heard you ask this question of other people, and I fear that question. I actually don't. <laughs> I don't know. I should have a goal, and I don't. I, Which I, is fine. Yeah, it's... I kind of occasionally feel like I'm just muddling my way through life. Um, but at the moment, it, it's kind of... We're in this territory. I mean, I, we've had an interesting history with rental properties, and, and I would say in the next 12 months, I would like to stay where we're living. So yep. we've, we've had this kind of horror story since we moved to Melbourne in 2005, where um, we got given notice in the first place we're in because the owners wanted to put the rent up by $100 a week and couldn't do it while we were in there. Why? So, so gave us, gave us you know, 120 days notice. Uh, then the next place we moved into, uh, the owner got caught in the global financial crisis and mm. couldn't afford to keep the property. So we were asked to leave so he could sell it vacant. But we found, <sighs> we found another place. The agents really liked us and wanted us to stay with them. So they found a place with uh, an owner who, who wanted to do long leases. She only did long leases, so 12 months at a time instead of going to month to month. And the previous tenant had been in there 10 plus years. So that was, that was a relief. And we yep. got to the end of our first 12 months and they didn't renew the lease. And we're looking at each other going... Oh. Uh, what? And a couple of months after our lease had come up, the owner came in to replace... It had all of these window to, sort of floor-to-ceiling windows with drapes that were not very good, and she came in to replace them all with vertical blinds, which do not insulate very well, I might add. No. Um, and while I... I, I, I still can't believe this happened but I got home from work and she's in there with her sons fitting these vertical blinds and she looks at me as I walk in and says oh, she says oh hello how are you yeah I'm thinking about demolishing the house kind of looking up at the ceiling <laughs> and I look I look at her and I look at my wife and I look back at her and I'm like excuse me and she's like oh, I probably won't a couple of months later a surveyor came around <laughs> a month after that we got notice to vacate the best part of this was that they insisted we clean the carpets. Of course. We had to spend $250. Because they're about to rip them up. Yeah, well, it's $250 to clean the carpets. And a few weeks after that, they ripped the roof off and you can see all the water running down the walls and the stains oh. on these freshly steam-cleaned carpets. That was the best part of that. But it was okay. You know, we found um, another... Our agents, again, wanted us and said, look, you're good tenants, we want to keep you. Sorry for everything you've gone through. Look, these landlords... They want long-term tenants. Unfortunately, they had to sell their house after three years. So we got to Gosh. move again. And we've moved into this place uh, sort of last year. And um, about a month after we moved in, uh, I looked, I'd been looking around at the streets around us with all of this development work. And I'm going, I'm not going to say this to my wife. And one day we're having a conversation <laughs> and she said, I don't think we're going to be here very long. And I went, I came to the same conclusion. Uh, so the one street, we're on a corner and one street's all just, they've just finished doing all the development work and the company that's just done all of that development work has just sent a letter around that in the side street, they're about to knock down, uh, I think it's six or seven houses and put up 26 units. Uh, so I did call, I called the real estate agent last week and I said, hey, uh, look, can you let us know if the landlord's about to sell for development? And she said, 
No, they actually want to keep that as an investment property, so you should be fine. I said, can we have another 12 months later? She said, certainly. So in the next 12 months, well, we're planning to try and stay where we are. Um, with kids on the spectrum, you want to try and provide them with some stability, and yeah. landlords have made that very difficult over the past few years. Yeah. Wow, was. My oh. life isn't a complete disaster. It's beginning to sound that way, though. <laughs> God. Hey, Warwick. Yes. Mate, thank you so very much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you've said are very special and you are highly valued. Thank you, my friend. No problems. What a tale. And that's just this little portion. Yeah. Gosh. Um, very clearly you are a tweeting person. Are there other social accounts you would want people to know about? Uh, I tend to use the same username everywhere. So if you, if you find me as Warwraith somewhere, you'll almost always find me as Warwraith in other places. So I, although not on Facebook, on Facebook, I, I actually use my proper name. Um, uh, and Facebook, I find lots of people add me on Facebook who I have no idea who they are, but I'm kind of fussy about who I accept because that can end badly. Um, yep. But I'm Warwraith on Instagram. I'm Warwraith on, on Twitter. I think I've got Warwraith on Pinterest as well, but I barely use that. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Warwraith is indeed human. <laughs>